Welcome to Pillar and Ground Podcast. I'm Brian Salter, lead pastor at LNPC, and today is a confessions episode. In these confessions episodes, we seek to understand the Westminster Confession of Faith and how it applies to our life. And as we've been doing, uh, glad to be joined by Will Nettleton, our pastor of mission and worship. Welcome, Will. Thank you. Glad to be here. It is a joy to walk through these truths together and talk about them and uh, share those. We hope you're enjoying the refreshing good news of the gospel as understood in justification in chapter 11 of our confession of faith. I hope your hearts are being stirred by these rich truths. Today, we're going to approach chapter 11.3 and 11.4. And so it seems probably best to read 11.3 to get us going. Yeah, I'll jump in. So this is uh, the modern translation uh, of chapter 11, paragraph 3. Christ, by his obedience and death, fully discharged the debt of all those who are justified. He made a proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice in their behalf. Yet, because he was freely given by the Father for them, and because his obedience and satisfaction were freely accepted in their stead, and not for anything in them, their justification is only of free grace." It was God's purpose in the justification of sinners to glorify both his exact justice and his rich grace. Mm. Let's just uh, begin with Christ's obedience and Christ's death. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm struck by that phrase, proper, real, and full yeah. satisfaction to his Father's justice. Right. Um, we'll just start with that, kind of have yeah. you reflect on that. Yeah, I mean, so we're going back again to... You mentioned this, I think, in two episodes ago, but the some of the language we've discussed before in previous episodes of the active and passive obedience mm-hmm. of Jesus. So when we talk about the active obedience of Jesus, we're talking about the righteous life he lived that we ought to have lived under the law but didn't. Yep. And we talk about his passive obedience. We're talking about all that he suffered uh, in this life, his death on the cross, continuing under the power of death for a time, all mm-hmm. of that. Um, by all of that, his obedience and death, he has fully discharged uh, our debt. So just for context, it's important to remember what we talked about in chapter 6. We are sinners who have broken the law Mm. of a righteous and holy God. And so in breaking that law, we're subject to the consequences of breaking it, to the death and wrath of God. When, When Adam and Eve are in the garden, when God's speaking to Adam and gives him the law, he tells him not to eat of the tree, of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Yep. So those are the conditions of the covenant, right? You eat, you break this, and death enters in. And of course, that's exactly what happened. But the story of the scriptures is God still wants to have a relationship with us. And so the tension mm. is, how is a holy and just God going to be able to do that? Yeah. Someone has to deal with the debt. Someone has to close the gap that exists between us. And yes. so when the confession talks about a proper, real, and full satisfaction, what they're saying is all of those boxes have been checked, that Jesus has done all of that. He is the one who lives the perfect life of obedience that mm-hmm. Adam was called to live, mm-hmm. that we have all been called to live, but could not and did not. He is the one who dies the death for sin that we ought to have died. That was mm-hmm. the wages of sin is death. And Jesus dies on the cross. He bears the wrath of God for our sin. And it's a full satisfaction, which I think is the most amazing part of those three three words, that yeah. he fully satisfies for every single sin of his people, past, present, and future, 
that we have committed, it is all enough. He drinks to the dregs the cup of God's wrath so Mm. that there is nothing left for us. Mm. Uh, When we talk about that good news of justification, this is just a massive, massive piece of it, that he has fully discharged the debts. There's nobody, there's no debt collector coming to knock on our doors saying your sin has, uh, has found you out. Like there is, he has fully dealt with all of that. And so Paul just, you know, is going in on this in Romans 4 and 5, and the beautiful kind of crescendo in chapter 5 is those verses 8 through 10. God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Hmm. So when when the confession talks about that proper, real, and full satisfaction to his Father's justice, it means that Jesus has done everything that was needed. We have been justified by his blood. Yeah, that's the the fullness. I love that fully discharged, full satisfaction. Hmm. And then it gets into a repetition of freely. Yeah. He was freely given by the Father for them because his obedience and satisfaction were freely accepted in their stead uh, and not for anything in them. Their justification is only of free grace. Three frees there, freely, mm-hmm. freely free. Just see how does Scripture point to this this free gift, this free work? Yeah, I mean, there's. it's important to say that all of this is of God's initiative. Like yeah. all of this was his idea that all of this was, um, a, a plan that he put in place before the foundations of the earth that God has not, uh, owed us any part of this that yeah. because he has given, uh, like it was his idea to offer his son yeah. freely offered his own son to us. It was his idea to accept Jesus's obedience and his death on the cross in our behalf. Um, and it was his decision freely to give that to us, to call so, us uh, to himself. So yeah. there's no um, there's no one that's put God in a corner here. Yeah. God doesn't owe us anything. You think from him, through him, to him are all things. Who's given a gift to him yeah. that he might be repaid? Yeah. None of us. Uh, that's It is all freely uh, of God. Yeah. First Timothy really points that out. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself yeah. as a ransom for all. He gave himself. He gave it's a gift. Yeah. So I mean, even John three sixteen, for God so loved the world, he gave. Mm. The gospel is rooted in a gift and uh it is a full, real, proper gift that is glorious that we receive. Why is uh, this understanding important to believer, and why why does God's grace sometimes too good to be true? Yeah, <laughs> seems like yeah. You know, it's funny. Just on that note, uh, as I was talking to some local pastors and leaders about boxes of blessing. Oh yeah, which uh, is something we we did at Christmas, um, and the boxes were provided. The the materials that went in the boxes were provided. And I was telling this group of pastors, all you got to do is receive these gifts. Yeah. And then you can distribute them. Yeah. And one guy in the back said, this sounds too good to be true. What's the catch? (laughs) So he boxes of blessings, like this demonstration of this grace that seems like, now this seems too good to be true. Yes. 
So there's no such thing as a free lunch. Yeah. Yeah. What's our response to such a great gift? Yeah. Oh, I mean, I think it says, I think it's why it's so important that we, that we understand this doctrine because in some sense that that voice in our head that says it's too good to be true yeah, is telling us something that is true, which is that we are great sinners and that we have a great need mm. and that's a, that it is impossible that someone would freely offer us um, forgiveness and salvation in a way back that we have not earned, that we have not done anything for. Mm. Um, I, I think it's really important for us to just realize how significant this is for our assurance of pardon. If you come to our church every Sunday, we do a confession of sin, assurance of pardon. Many churches do that. But that time is really significant in the service. As you're naming your sins to God, as you are silently and individually praying those, um, you need to have this in the back of your mind, that there really is mm-hmm. a full satisfaction for that, that God freely pardons you, that it's a gift he desi- He desired to give to you of His own free grace. And because Jesus is the Son of God, all of this, like the check clears, like it is paid in full. <laughs> he has paid it all. Let's go back to that Hebrews 10. This is a verse that's going to come up a lot in this chapter on justification. But Hebrews 10, 10, and then verse 14. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, and this is the important language, once for all. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So I think as we come to the it's too good to be true thing, we have to remember that in some ways it's like, it, that's a proper response. It is that good. It mm. just is also that true. That's it, so good. It really is um, as free as it sounds. It's as free as free can possibly be. And we should never stop marveling at that. There, there really ought to, it always, it ought to always stir us to wonder uh, that this was, that we really brought nothing mm. and we got everything. You talk about our liturgy. We, the assurance of pardon follows the confession of sin. And we pronounce that assurance of pardon through God's word, not on the basis of our pronouncement, but his work. And what follows that in our services is a hymn of assurance. Yes. We often stand to sing that hymn. And I often think we probably should be leaping out of our seats with utter joy Mm -hmm. um, at it's true and sing our hearts out amazing love. How can it be? Yeah. Um, It is. I like that. It is to it is that good and it is that true. Yeah. So look at eleven point four. Yep. Um, this deals with justification in eternity and in history. Yeah. Uh, so read that for us. God from all eternity decreed to justify all the elect. In the fullness of time, Christ died for their sins and rose again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified until in due time the Holy Spirit actually applies Christ to them. So there's justification in eternity and justification mm-hmm. in history. Right. Those would be the two things to understand. Yep. Let's talk about that first. Yeah, and, and I would even add a, a third one of, of justification in our experience. Okay. That they're yeah. in, in our, maybe you could even say it in our personal history, that what they're trying to get at is that there's a way that the scriptures have of speaking about justification as if it has happened in eternity past. And it's there that as we're, we're kind of splitting some theological hairs here, and so this may feel a little dense to people, and people may under, may think, I, I'm not sure I understand what the significance is. Hang tight for just a second. I think we'll be able to bring this home. But 
the God has authored our justification in eternity. Uh, that's the divine decree. We go back to you know the early chapters of the confession that God is the author of everything that comes to pass. God also, remember, he ordains both ends and the means to those ends. So when we talk about justification in history, that is what Jesus did on the cross, that it was accomplished on our behalf 2,000 years ago. Uh, so if we want to think about it this way, God authors justification in eternity past, right? Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Uh, those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also mm. justified. So mm-hmm. that's, a, that's an authoring that goes on in history. There is the accomplishing, so three A's here, authoring, accomplishing by Jesus on the cross. Uh, so living the perfect life in his 33 years on earth, dying the death for sin on the cross, he accomplishes uh, our justification. And then there is the application of it to us by the Holy Spirit. As we are uh, effectually called, as we are united to Christ uh, by faith, there is the application of it to us uh, in real time as we are saved. And what the divines are getting at is that when we talk about justification, it's proper to say that there's a sense of which is proper to say we are justified in history and in, mm-hmm. or in eternity and in history. But really when we're talking about justification, it's better for the believer for us to think about it as something that happens in our real experience. There's a time, there's a before and after yeah. to justification in our lives. So we hear the, the scriptures of those who were um, what you were before you came to know Jesus. Uh, such were some of you. Paul has that famous list yeah, in First Corinthians. You were enemies. Yes, God's you were enemies, enemies of yeah. God. But now, yeah. now, that's a great. Those are great words to look out for in the New Testament. This was the case, but, but now, now. <laughs> um, that is what the divines are getting at when they talk about justification um, in the believer's experience. And the payoff of this, I think, why this matters is because we can, when we talk about justification only as an eternal reality. It can make salvation and us placing our faith in Jesus sound like uh, an acknowledgement of something that's just already true. That uh, just saying yeah. like, "Oh, well, I'm just uh, I'm just accepting a thing that's already happened. It's not even really that important for me to do any of this." Again, we got to go back to God ordains both ends and the means to those ends. Yeah. He has ordained our salvation, including our justification, but he, he's also ordained the means by which that happens, which means the Holy Spirit drawing us, us placing our faith, uh, all of those things matter. And so it's proper to say we're not justified until the Holy Spirit actually applies Christ to us in our lived experience. Yeah, that's good. There's uh, three sentences there in 11.4, and I love that. You can know Westminster Confession 11.4 by authors, accomplishes, and applies. The first sentence is authors. The second Sentence is the accomplishment of Christ, and the third is the application of Christ to us by the Holy Spirit, a very Trinitarian yeah. section of the Westminster Confession of Faith. And really ties it in, like we talked about, to all the other... Um, yeah. This is where, I mean, we've used, I've used that illustration of the Russian nesting doll with the confession, where you realize, like, you open one, and there's another one inside. You open that one, there's another one inside. The doctrines uh, of the confession really do fit within you really see the beauty of what they have pulled out of the scriptures they have um, they have recognized the scriptures teach us this beautiful thing that fits together um, lock and step perfectly so 
Um, this is another instance where we see the the connections between the chapters and the doctrines mm. uh, that are in Holy Scripture. Well, thank you, Will, and uh, thank you for all of you who are listening for joining us on this episode of Pillar and Ground. We look forward to being together with you in future episodes.